Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. So we're in this series called This Is What We Do, and this series has been all about generosity. That's what we've been doing because we know that from what Jesus said, it is better to give, it is happier, it is blessed, it's better, it's best to give than it is to receive. Jesus said that. We should be writing it down. It's important that we know that. It is better to give than it is to receive. And so we've been talking about what that looks like to live a life of generosity. And we understand, I'm not gonna re-preach the entire message, go back and listen to them, but we understand that, that our generosity starts with the tithe, returning 10% to the Lord, and then giving over and above with a plan to do that, intentional generosity. And so I, I encourage you to go listen to those messages. They'll be a blessing to you. But today I, I wanna just address the tension in the room. Because I understand that when we talk about generosity, sometimes the tension is around the, the fact that pastors or preachers are talking about it, that we're talking about money in church. And I, and I get that there's some tension around that, but there's another point of contention too, because when we start talking about generosity, people get frustrated. And it's not because you don't want to be generous. I think you've got a, a different problem. Uh, it, it's, you have reasons why you can't. And the problem stems from things that we are so entrenched in, things that we have adopted or picked up along the way intentionally and unintentionally. And those things that we want to change in our life, the things, that, the issues that we need to address actually start in our thinking. We need to address our thinking. So I wanna help you today by starting you with this challenge. It's found in the, the uh, book of Haggai. Now, Haggai is a minor prophet, okay? So in your Old Testament, there are these books of history, there are poetry books, there are wisdom books, and then there are these prophets, minor and major prophets. And the minor prophets are the smaller ones. They had less to say. They have major prophets, kind of like Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, that, that, that they, they went on for a long time. And, uh, and, but a minor prophet has just a few chapters. And in this very small book called Haggai, he says this phrase six times. Six times, he says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Six times he says that in this small little book because he understands what, what many of us understand is that fixing your life or fixing the issues in your life starts with your thinking. This should be a principle that we apply across every area of our life. It starts with our thinking. If we don't like how things are turning out for us, if we don't like the results that we are getting, we need to look at the framework of our life through our thinking first. He goes on to say, you have planted much, but harvested little. In other words, he's saying, what you're, try you're trying, you're giving effort to something, but it's just not turning out the way that you want it. It's not working. In other words, he's addressing the fact that they're trying ways that are never gonna work. They're trying ways that are worldly instead of trying things God's ways. And so he says, you eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm, ladies. And every man in the room said, yeah, amen, that's right. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says, and he says it for his second time. Give careful thought to your ways. If any of that sounds familiar to you, like you work and you work and you work and you never seem to be able to get ahead. It's like putting your money in a bag with holes in it. It just keeps falling out and you're not sure where it's all going. You're not sure why what you're doing is ineffective. If life has gotten frustrating in any area, maybe it's time to adopt some new thinking. Maybe it's time to rethink or give careful thought to your ways, especially when it comes to money. You know, the great evangelist Billy Graham said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. Do you know this is true? If you think about the impact that money has, think about the impact money has on your health. That when you are stressed about money, you've got, you're worried about it, you have anxiety. So now your mental health is impacted because you're worried about how you're gonna pay your bills. You're worried about how you're gonna get your groceries. You're worried about how you're gonna fill your gas tank and get to work. 
You're stressed, so you're mentally stressed, your mental health suffers, and then your physical health. The longer you stay in a stress mode, your body releases certain chemicals and other systems within your body shut down when you're in a stress mode. It impacts your body. You can develop ulcers and all kinds of physical issues that will manifest themselves because of your mental health and your stress around money. Think about your marriage. There are three killers of every marriage, communication, sex, and money. Those are the number one causes of divorce. Think about your career. Why are you in the career that you're in if it weren't about money? A lot of us, we answer that question. We'll move because a better job pays more money, so we'll leave our family, we'll leave our community, we'll leave our churches behind, we'll leave places of health behind, and go to places where we can make more money. Sometimes we take second jobs so that we can have more money, and it takes us away from, from the, the things that are most important to us. So we choose careers that are based on money. Today I wanna talk to you about about money, but I want to talk to you about the dangers specifically of debt, because I think we've gotten ourselves into a cycle that has a lot of us trapped. And I think, sadly, in many churches across America today, there are many pastors who will stand on a stage and give you opportunities week after week, something to be generous towards, not only tithing, but giving above and beyond so that they can do work in the community. But what they don't do is give you tools on how you can be free to be generous. And those opportunities presented on a regular basis, this is the tension that I think is in the room more often when, when pastors talk about money, is you're frustrated because you cannot participate. It's not that you're stingy. It's not that you don't want to. The reason you can't participate, the reason you can't be generous is you're strapped. In other words, you've got a heart to participate, but not hands to because you're tied down. Because I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. That's how we live our lives, paycheck to paycheck, and we're in a dangerous cycle of debt. My job is to help you find freedom in every area of your life, especially in the area of finances. Some of you today are like, aha, I knew it. I knew it. I was going to come here, and that pastor, he was just going to talk about money because he's just after my money. I'm not after your money. I'm not. I'm not after your money. I talk about money because I'm commanded to in the Bible. I'm commanded to talk about money. I'm commanded to, to tell you and teach you how to handle your money. In fact, the Bible talks about money a lot too. The stories that Jesus made up to get his spiritual points across, they're called parables. 16 of 38 of them were about money. Money is talked about five times more than prayer in the Bible and more than heaven and hell. Those two topics combined. Money is an important topic. Why? Because if we get this area right, it has the potential to straighten out all of the other areas of our lives. Unfortunately for us, many of us were in debt simply because we picked it up. We watched our parents live a lifestyle of living beyond their means, living, paying for everything by debt. In fact, our government, our government has the largest amount of debt in the world, in the world. They model this for us. They are, they are currently in, in debt $34 trillion. And our government... And I think we act like there's never going to be a day of comeuppance for us. There's never going to be any consequences for, for having $34 trillion in debt or having the amount of debt that we have. Like there's never going to be a consequence. And we, act, we walk through this life just acting like, eh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. But I'm going to tell you, I believe that God wants us to find freedom in the area of debt. In fact, Paul urged us in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, to owe no man anything except a continual debt of love. That's the only debt that the Bible gets behind and says, hey, this is the one that we're encouraging you to have. It's a debt of love. But debt has become so common, hasn't it? Like, I remember, I, I'm, I just turned 45 on Friday, and I'm, I'm an old person, okay? Thank you, thank you. Are you cheering because I said I'm old or because I'm, you know, it's my birthday? I got you. All right, it's the first one. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> But I, I, when I was younger, debt was like a thing that we, did, we didn't want it. It was a bad word. We didn't want it. 
But everything slowly changed over time. I remember when I was a kid, when you didn't have money to pay for something, you went to stores and you got something off the shelf and you went to this counter, see? And you, as a little kid, I remember putting this thing up on a counter because I didn't have the money to pay for it. And I said, now listen, I want this item right here, but I don't have all the money to pay for it today. But I want you to put it on a shelf in the back and I'm gonna come here and I'm gonna make weekly payments. And when I've paid it off completely, I will then receive this thing from you that I want and this, my friends, is called? <laughs> oh, there's old people in the room. <laughs> Sold yourselves out. Young people are like, what is layaway? That's, uh, are we taking a nap at the stores now? What is going on? <laughs> Young people don't get it because you can get a credit card at the little credit, the, 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 the debit card kiosk now. With every purchase, would you like to save 30% today? No, I would not, because I'm not going to save 30%. I might save 30% off of this $30 purchase, but you're going to get 25% off of me for the rest of my purchases. No, thank you. That's like saying, I'd like to pay $125 for this instead of $100. Are y'all hearing me? Young people, we, we, we want it now. We don't care how. We want it now. We don't wait on anything. But back in the day when we didn't have money, we, we said, no, we're not going to buy it because we're not going to go into debt. The nice thing about layaway was you could make your final payment on something and receive that thing brand new. But unfortunately, the way credit cards go today, by the time you make your final payment on something that's on your credit card, you've got no idea where that thing is anymore. You used it, you threw it away, you gave it away. It's in storage in your garage or you ate it. It's called consumer debt for a reason, guys. It's because when you go to pay that thing off, you no longer have it. You got the bill, but not the thing. And that's a problem. And I'm here to tell you, God wants you free from that kind of thinking and that kind of lifestyle. I want you free from that too. So how did we get here? In order to talk about how we get out of this place, we've got to talk about how we got here. There is a way out. And I just need you to know that though I'm focusing on money today, the, the way out that I'm going to provide you is actually the way out of everything in your life. Every mess that you find yourself in today. To be clear, I want you out of financial debt, but I understand that there are some dark places that you all are in that has nothing to do with money. And this, the principles I'll share with you today will help you out as well. So take notes because when you find yourself in a difficult situation, when you find yourself desperate looking for an answer, you're going to need today's information. So take notes. If you don't take notes, you'll be in my office and you can take notes personally because I'll share this with you again. I'm just saying that's the way it'll go. I get it. And I don't mind sitting in my office with you providing counsel, but today I'm giving you counsel and you don't have to take extra time to do it. So take some notes. But the way out of your desperate situations, especially in your finances, is the same as what I'll share. So, 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 so just know that it'll apply clear across your life. So we're going to look at this through the, the lens today of one of the parables Jesus told, and it's, it's a very popular one. And whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. Again, this is a story Jesus made up, but it, it demonstrates his point. And so in verse 11, he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of this, the estate. Essentially what this young man is saying to his dad is, I want my inheritance today. Yeah, I know you're still alive, but I want it today. He's basically saying, dad, oh, I wish you were dead. It's rude. It's disrespectful, but that's exactly what he's asking. The thing that I get when you die, I'd like it today. And his dad, his dad should not have given in to such a request. But honestly, isn't this the message that debt communicates? That stuff and money is more important than people? Isn't this what we do? Sometimes it sounds like this. Well, you know, I just didn't have a whole lot growing up. And as a parent, I'm going to work two jobs so that my kids can have everything that I never had. They're going to have the nicest bikes. They're going to have nice clothes. They're going to live in a nice neighborhood. I'm going to give them everything because I never had it. And we go out and we work two jobs. And let me tell you something that your kids need more than they need your money or nice things. They need you. They need you. That's, that's free for you. It's just free. You just need to know. It's not your stuff that they want. Sure, their little selfish hearts want things, okay? But I'll tell you what, when they grow up, the thing that they will not remember is how much stuff you gave them. They'll remember the time you spent with them. 
because stuff doesn't change people, relationships do. Okay, let me get back to my message here. Okay, I'm sorry. Focus, Aaron, focus. In this story, the dad did what he should not have done. He absolutely did. But he, what, he, what he did do, he did out of love for his son because he was like, you know what? I'm gonna let him learn on his own. I'm letting him figure out that stuff is not where he's gonna find his happiness. And so he, he gave in. And it says he divided his property between both of the sons. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. In other words, he did what a lot of us don't intend to do. He, he did. But the son meant to though. It says that he went there and he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a famine in that whole country. Now, wild living just means living that doesn't matter. In other words, he's spending it on everything that he wanted, everything he wanted to drink, every experience he wanted to have, every article of clothing he wanted, everything his little heart wanted, he went and got. He bought it. He spent it on stuff that just doesn't matter, that's here today and gone tomorrow. And then what happens? Well, he made a series of bad decisions, blowing his money, living in a way that didn't matter, no eternal impact, nothing. And then a famine shows up. And this is always the way life goes, guys. It's always the way life goes. It's a natural law that there's a famine coming. There are circumstances life is going to hand you that are not going to be favorable for you. So my God, Aaron, I came here to be encouraged today. Can't you be more positive? Certainly. I'm positive that bad days are coming. Difficult situations are at your door. And what I know about difficult times is that you're either getting ready to go into one, you're currently in one, or you're walking out of one. That's the way it goes. A day of reckoning will come for our decisions. And whether we have lived a life of discipline or a lack thereof, it'll matter. A comeuppance is coming. We hate that. I get asked all the time, Pastor Aaron, could you please pray with me? I've made all these terrible decisions and I don't want the consequences. And I'm like, sure, I'll pray with you because I believe that God is full of grace and I believe that God is full of mercy, but I also know the very nature of God is is that he's willing to let you do all the stupid things you wanna do so you pay the stupid tax and you learn your stupid lesson. So you're like, I was a lot of stupids. I'm not sure where I fall in this thing. God will use the famines in your life to get your attention. He'll allow you to make the mistakes. He'll allow you to take your inheritance and squander it in wild living so that you realize it's not what you're really after. It's not what you really need. Like it or not, famines are helpful. Oftentimes, they're the rock bottom we need in order to wake up and realize our need for God in every part of our lives. And this may sound mean what I'm getting ready to say, but I've prayed prayers like Paul did. Paul said, I've turned that guy over to Satan so that he can experience whatever he needs to in order to come back. And you know what? Sometimes I pray that way for you. Lord, let them experience whatever they need to experience so that they wake up, so that they have this aha moment. Hmm, some of you don't like me anymore. I'm gonna reconsider my pastor choice. I'm just not, I'll pray mercy. Sometimes mercy doesn't get through to our selfish hearts like a famine will. Now watch this. So a famine shows up and it says he began to be in need. By the way, where's all his friends that he was spending all his money on in his wild living? Where are they at? Huh. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that faraway country. Somebody who, by the way, is far away from his family, far away from his culture, likely far away from his faith. And that person sent him out to the fields to feed pigs. In other words, he tried a natural, a worldly solution before returning to his father, before turning to a godly solution. In fact, I'll tell you today, you can try everything the world's got for you. You can do everything the devil has for you. You can pursue it all. You're not going to find what you're looking for. It'll put you in a pig pen. That's where you'll wind up. It won't work. And you'll be back. And you're welcome back. Because we've all tried different things, me included, that we knew were wrong and it put us in these bad situations. And it says about him that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You ever seen pig slop before? Ever been on a farm? Pig slop is basically what the farmer doesn't want to eat at his table and what the rest of the animals aren't eating too. 
goes into, it goes in, mixed in with some grains and some other things you'll give them. Pigs will eat anything. But pigs are also very magical beasts. I'm just saying. They take everybody else's trash and turn it into bacon. You know what I'm saying? That's good stuff. <laughs> pigs are amazing. <laughs> but, but, but nobody would feed him anything. Jesus also knew who he was talking to, by the way, because this was a Jewish audience who's listening to that and pigs were unclean. And so Jesus, Jesus knew this was a rock bottom situation that this kid, this Jewish kid would wind up on a pig farm wanting to eat food that the pigs were eating. And the rest of the Jewish listeners would have been so appalled by this story. He knew what he was doing. But the story of how he got into that mess is our story. Because we, we all wind up in our messes financially and our marriages and our relationships following the same progression he did. The first thing that he did was he believed a lie. The prodigal son believed a lie. He believed that what he wanted most, that his happiness was, was attached to him having stuff. The enemy has one weapon, guys. The Bible calls him the father of lies and says that when he is speaking, he's lying because that's his nature. He will lie to you to get you to believe things that aren't true. In fact, he'll tell you, if you're a married person here today, he'll tell you, oh, you know that guy at work, the one that compliments you, that one that's so, so very nice to you? You should leave your husband and go be with him. He'll love you better. Or that, that girl, that girl at the gym, you know, she cares about her body and your wife's at home taking care of the kids right now. And look, I mean, you'd be much happier with, with her. And so you should, you should, the grass is greener on the other side. Yes, it is, but the water bill is higher. That's true. Yeah, the enemy wants you to believe that. He'll lie to you. And there are a lot of myths. There are a lot of things that we bought into regarding money. And we believed our lies. We need to come back to biblical principles because they're the only ones that work. There's a sad survey that was done in the early 90s. I believe it was, it was James Patterson, is a famous author, who wrote the book, The Day America Told the Truth. And in this survey, they asked the question, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? And people responded, honestly. They said 25% of them would, would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% of them would become a prostitute for a week. 16% would give up their American citizenship for $10 million. 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. You mean I don't know the person? Okay. 10 million. 3% said they would put their children up for adoption. Some of you are here. I would do that for free. That's today. <laughs> right now. I have good news for you. We start a parenting series next week, so be here for that. <laughs> But when you understand there's a root cause within us, there's something that is off within us. There are lies that we believed about money. We're willing to compromise our morals and our values. We find ourselves in these messes as a result. Ultimately, it's because we're self-absorbed. We want more things for ourselves and to care for ourselves. The biblical word for this, when we think a lot about ourselves, is the word pride. There's something inside you that thinks you deserve it and that you need it. It's a seed of pride. And Proverbs 16 says that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So how do you stop destruction before, before it happens? Well, know the cause of it. What's at the root? How do you stop it? Well, if you live a life of humility and contentment, you can't be lured into pride. That's just the way it goes. If you're already grateful for what you have, if you, you look around and you can't believe that what you have, you, you're like, I, I don't deserve what I have. If you can live a life of contentment, you won't be lustful for what you don't have. Pride goes before a fall. If you don't want to fall, live a life of humility. I have seen this on repeat in my life. I've watched men and women fall because of pride. I've watched my friends who have walked through addiction recovery, too many of them went to their death because they were too prideful to say, I need help. They'd, they'd been sober for several years and they had a relapse and they were too prideful to say something to somebody and they were found dead in their car, dead in a hotel. And I buried too many of them because they were too proud to say, I need help. I have too many, I've seen too many relationships dissolve because people were too proud to say, I'm sorry, forgive me, or to get counseling and get some help. I've seen people lose their jobs because they're too proud to say, I don't know how, I need some training, teach me, help me. I've seen people stay sick because they're fine. 
They're too proud to go to the doctor. I've seen the boy miss out on the girl because his ego couldn't handle rejection. Pride. Pride. Too many times I've seen it. I'm aware of it. I'm susceptible to it. That's why I turn everything in my life that is going well, that even the stuff that isn't going well, I turn it all back to God and say, God, thank you for it all because I know that you're using it all. I know that this is you. I know that your hand is at work. I know that you are doing something in me. I thank God for everything. Why? Why? Because whatever you don't turn back to God in praise turns into pride in your life. I'll say that again. Whatever you don't turn back to God in praise, in other words, thanking him for it, turns into pride in your heart. Because you start to think that it has something to do with you. That you're, you're the reason that things are going so well. Listen to me. The man that is on his face cannot fall from that position. If you don't want to fall, live a life of humility, thanking God for everything he's given you. Listen, I'm well aware that everything good that is happening at this church is not because of me. It's because Jesus loves his church. It's not because I'm an excellent communicator or a strong leader or because I'm so handsome. You didn't have to laugh too hard at that. Felt like you were agreeing. Hurts my heart. (laughs) There is nothing that is happening here that is good that is because of me. It is because of God. It is because of his blessing. It is because of his favor. It's all him. It's God's doing. We need to be humble. Listen to me. Humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. Like you don't need to think that, oh, woe is me. I'm so small. How can I possibly do anything? It's not like, that's not what humility is. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. The last thing any of us needs to do is to think that much of ourselves. Hmm. The thing none of us can hide is pride. It always leads up to a fall. And that's what happened with the prodigal. So if you let this prideful spirit play out, you'll believe the lie, and it'll lead you to a point where you engage in self-destructive behavior. It says that the prodigal son engaged in wild living. The reason that we end up in the places we don't want to is because we let our lives get undisciplined. We start living our lives in ways that just don't matter. And I'm here to tell you that if we maintain disciplines in our lives, in other words, we talk about our disciplines and our habits, that we form our habits and our disciplines, and then those habits and disciplines form us. That somewhere in your life, you have chosen to live a lifestyle that is free of discipline. And I'm telling you, maintain those disciplines. Maintain spiritual ones. Read your Bible. Go to church. Pray. Tithe. Take care of your body. Take care of your mind. Take care of your relationships. Get a budget for crying out loud. Start telling your money where to go instead of looking in the rearview mirror and seeing where it went. Uh Uh-oh. Don't let go of your disciplines in your life. And if you don't have them, develop them. Life mismanagement will always lead to some type of self-destructive behavior that you never wanted to be in. And here are some phrases that you say, well, Aaron, I don't know if I'm participating in self-destructive behaviors. Well, if you hear yourself saying things like, well, I just can't help myself, you might be engaging in self-destructive behavior. Or maybe you say, well, I deserve this. Or what harm could it do? This is the one I hear more often than not. What harm could it do? I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, it's just a little pornography, Aaron. It's not like I'm out there sleeping with someone or it's just, just a little bit of flirting or it was just one Chipotle burrito, not two. <laughs> Proverbs 14 says this, there's a way of life that looks harmless enough. But look again, it leads straight to hell. If you want to catch yourself before you get to a dark hole financially or in any area of your life, you need to realize that your life is being simply being mismanaged. And in humility, you need to go back and put your life back in order. Pick up those disciplines or develop those disciplines. Prioritize them and watch as the pieces of your life come back together. But if you don't do that, the next thing that will happen is that you'll isolate yourself from those who, help, who can help. The prodigal son did that. It says he went off to a far country. He went far from his family, far from people that knew him, far from people that would have told him, hey, you know better than to do that. That's what we do, isn't it? When we want to live a life contrary to things that are wise for us, we go and find another community that will praise it, don't we? Uh Uh-oh. We go find some people that won't be naysayers. We go find us some people that'll be like, you want to engage in wild living and spend your inheritance? I'm here for it. Let's do it. Let's party. You'll find the community of people that'll do it. You find yourself far from God, far from family. And the reason that you're far from them, even if you're close, you're distant, you don't let them in, is because you don't want them telling you anything. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to be embarrassed. 
And so oftentimes, even if we are present with those people, we wear a mask, we hide. Social media is really good for this. We put our highlight reel out there, our best days, our best moments. So everybody thinks everything is just, we're just fine. Everything's good here. It's fine. Oh yeah, my house is burning down, but it's fine. I'm fine. So we go where we're not known. We wear masks and we don't let people know what's going on in our lives. We hide, even here in this place. We hide. We say things like, I don't owe you an explanation. We talk about people and we put them in a category. Well, they, well, they couldn't understand me. We say, well, I don't need them. I can do it on my own. These are things that I hear all the time. They push back and use these reasons for why they isolate themselves. But Proverbs 18 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, you're pursuing what you want. And you break out against all sound judgment. And I'm here to tell you, if you ignore this, you're going to end up at a spot you don't want to be in. And as your pastor, I don't want that for you. That's not anything I want for you. Because listen, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want freedom for you. I want you to have hope in your heart. I want you to be part of the we. See, we're talking about this is what we do. We're talking about being a generous church. We're talking about making a difference and having a plan to make an impact with our finances. I want you to be part of living a life of generosity because it's better to give than it is to receive. Jesus said that. Write it down. Y'all think that's been a joke of this whole series, but I'm telling you, I think we need to begin to believe it. We need to live it. If you don't do something about your isolation, eventually you'll find yourself in a dark place. And that's what happened with the prodigal. He found himself in a dark place. He found himself in a desperate situation on the pig farm wanting to eat their food. And many of us, we do the same thing. Unfortunately, we live just like everyone else around us thinking that they've got it. We think, you know what? I'm gonna live just like my parents did or I'm gonna live just like my coworkers do. I'm gonna live just like my classmates do. And we go out and we live a lifestyle of getting everything we want now. We don't know how to discipline ourselves and save money. We go out and get credit cards. In fact, they said the average American right now today has 3.84 credit cards. Now, I don't know how you have 3.84 credit cards, but you do, okay? That means the average American has between three and four credit cards. And the average debt or the average limit is $30,365. That's average. That's consumer debt. We're not talking about a house debt or car debt. We're talking about credit card debt. That's the average American debt. Debt is our go-to mode. It was mine when I was growing up too. When I came, got out of high school, instead of moving into an apartment with a bunch of people, I moved in with one other guy because I was like, I can afford the payment. Isn't that what they sell you on? You can afford the payment, right? And then I went and got my first credit card. And you know what I did? I bought me some fancy clothes and I started paying for everybody's meals when we went out because I wanted to be a baller. I maxed out that credit card pretty quick. And then I found out that the credit card company that I just maxed out this credit card with would give me another one if I just simply asked, and they did. So now I have two credit cards, and I'm repeating the cycle. I can afford the low monthly payment. I mean, it's basically all interest, and I'm never going to pay down the principal. They're going to keep on just taking my money from me every single month because I didn't know how to handle money, didn't know what I was doing. And so I, I get credit cards and I get them maxed out. I, I start to, I, I went out and bought a new car. It's three times the payment of my last car because I could afford the payment. And then a famine came. I was living beyond my means as a young man. A famine came. I got offended, walked away from my relationship with God, left my morals and my values behind. The first girl I met, I slept with, got her pregnant with twins. There's my son waving his hand back there. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> That's just stuff you couldn't write into the message, you know? It just uh, Anyway, I didn't love her, but I married her, and I had to get her a nice, expensive wedding ring. Platinum band. Come on, if you know what that means, that means expensive. I already didn't have money. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. And then what happened after that? Well, lost my roommate. She was labeled high-risk pregnancy, and so she put herself on bed rest and wouldn't work, couldn't work. And I had double income to take care of my apartment. Now I had just one, so I had to get a second job, and I Still couldn't make ends meet. I couldn't afford the payment for her car and my car. So my car got repossessed. That was fun. Come out in the morning and find your car gone. So, calling all your friends like, okay, this is really funny. Who, where'd you guys put my car? 
It was a, a guy named the Repo Man who had it. So, like, we were, like, watching those videos on TikTok, but there's nothing worse than actually being the person in the TikTok video of your car getting repossessed. That was, that was rough. Famine came. Life hit me. Started losing everything. Got bill collectors calling me all day long. My marriage that, that I had invested so much into went down the tubes within a year. Had to return that ring I'd been paying for. I said, Can, will you stop calling me if I just give you the ring back? Yeah, that's what they did. They kept calling, kept calling, kept calling. Eventually, I had to file bankruptcy. So when I stand up here, I don't stand up here and preach to you and say, oh, you poor guy, I've just had it good all my life. I haven't. I've made lots of mistakes. I've been broken, bankrupt, and I'm, I'm also, I like where I'm at right now. I like it a lot. Where, 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 where I'm not broke or bankrupt. <laughs> I like that. Huh. I had believed a lie. I'd engaged in self-destructive behavior. I'd isolated myself from people who could help, and I found myself in a dark place. And many of you understand this cycle because you're, you're in it too. Whether it's financial or not, you, you've been there or you're there now. Maybe for you, it started out innocent. You believed a lie. You believed that, that debt or that this consumer mindset was how everybody else lives, and so you might as well live the same way, and you acted on that. You refused people who could help you, and now you're in a dark place, and here's how you feel. Psalms 88 says this, you've made my friends to loathe me, and they've gone away, and I'm in a trap with no way out. And that's how you feel. You're, you're stuck. You feel trapped. That's why you're frustrated when we start talking about generosity, because you can't participate. You feel like you're stuck. But this is also a lie. You're not trapped. You're not. When you're in a desperate situation, one of the best ways to get God's attention is that situation. You need to know that the Bible tells us that when you're in a desperate situation, when you're in a dark space, that God is never far. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost hope. I don't know if you, you're a parent here, but when, you, when you're raising your kids, your kids are, are used to playing at your feet. And as, the older they get, the further away they get from you. They start playing in other rooms. They start playing upstairs. They start playing outside. But they're never far enough that when they fall or you hear a loud noise, you know, you, you count that five seconds, you hear the poof, one, two, three, four, five, ah! and they scream, right? Because it takes them that while to catch the breath and realize I'm hurt and I need some help. But the second they scream, where's mom and dad? Near. This is who God is, that he cares when his kids are hurting. And so if you've lost all hope that your finances, your life, or your relationships will ever get out of the dark place, I need you to know this message is for you, that God cares and he's not far. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 says, all you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. You can get through this thing. Whatever you're going through right now, you can. That's God's word and it's true. There's nothing you've done that makes you past the point of return. It's never You've never gone too far. It's never too late for God who can raise the dead. And you need to remember that because that's what God does. He raises the dead. So here's your spoonful of hope, open wide. If your finances, if your relationships, if your marriage, your career, or you feel even like in your body that this issue is dead and settled, don't stress out. God raises dead things. It's never too late. And that's what happened to the prodigal. In fact, in verse 17 of chapter 15 in Luke, it says, when he came to his senses, so he had this aha moment, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he has this plan and he starts rehearsing it to himself. How many times do you guys do that, right? You start rehearsing the conversation you're about to have with somebody, you know, to negotiate, and he feels like he's got to negotiate, but he didn't just talk about it, think about it. He actually did it. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I love this verse because it really demonstrates the heart of the father, that God is just waiting on you to return to him because the father was on the porch just looking every day. Is today the day that he's going to come back? Is today the day that you're going to put your faith and trust and hope in God? Is today the day that you're going to turn your finances over to him and say, I need new thinking. I need some help. Is today the day that you're going to surrender your marriage, surrender your relationship, surrender your mental health, to surrender whatever the issue is to him and say, God, I need you. I've made a mess. Is today the day? Because he's just on the porch watching. He's waiting. That's the nature of our God. He's not waiting to scold you. He's not waiting to say, told you so. 
It's not who he is. That's not God. He's ready and he's watching. He's waiting for you to make the decision to come home. And when you decide, watch what happens. It says the father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, he starts going into the thing he rehearsed. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Father's not hearing it. The rest of the story is that the dad says, put a ring on his finger, put some fresh shoes on his feet, give him a robe, get that fat calf out there. He'd been fat too long. Let's eat him, butcher him. Let's go. Let's have a party. So they did. He threw a party because his son had came home. And this is who God is for you and for me. He throws a party when we turn around and come back. The Bible says that when we repent, all of heaven is celebrates. There's a party that happens in heaven. So you can do the same as the boy in the story to find a way out. The progression is exactly the same. If you're in debt or a desperate place, and I got to be fast, so take notes quickly. First thing you need to do is just acknowledge the reality of where you're at. Just acknowledge it. Most of the battle is just admitting that I'm in a mess and that you were the one who made the mess. That, that it was your mismanagement of your resources, of your relationship, of your time, whatever that might be, just own it. Say, I did it. That you're in debt up to your eyeballs because you bought stuff that you could not afford to impress people you do not, do not care about and you don't even like and you're hurting and you can't even sleep at night over it. Just, just raise your hand and say it was me. Don't do that now. I'm just saying like to God, right? Own it, okay? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Just own it. You did it. You messed it up. You believe the lie and you did it. But here's the thing. You need to understand that God's omniscient. He already knows how you've messed things up. He already knows everything. It's not a surprise to him. When you raise your hand and say, hey, by the way, I'm in a mess with things, he's not gonna go, oh, that is shocking. Oh my me, I didn't know that. That's not who God is. He's never surprised. He knows. He already knows your condition. He wants you just to confess it to him, to tell him, to be honest with him. It requires you to tell him the truth. King David understood this because right after he committed adultery and then murdered the guy, uh, the, the husband of the woman he had an adulterous relationship with, he prayed this prayer. He said this to God, and we can do it too. In Psalm 51, he said, I've been out of step with you for a long time in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. In other words, God's not after your perfection. He's just after your honesty. He's after you to be honest. What I like about this is this is Psalm 51, but the Psalms are not laid out in the, in the book of Psalms chronologically. In other, in other words, in the order that they were written. So Psalm 32 was written after Psalm 51. So David recognizes this. And then he says in Psalm 32, he says, when I kept it all inside, in other words, when I didn't confess it, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. He said, then in verse five, I let it all out. I told God, I'll make a clean breast of my failures to God. And suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved my sin disappeared. God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for you to own this, guys. So own your part in it. There's freedom in it. Own it. I did it. It was me. I made a mess. I just need, to, need you to know that. So own it. Acknowledge the reality of where you are. And then number two, develop a plan of attack. The prodigal had a plan. It wasn't necessarily the right one. He was going to come back as a servant. But you need to have a plan. He had one. And you need one. And I believe the church has a role in helping you with that plan. Proverbs 27 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. I don't want you to suffer. Do you want to keep suffering? I want to help you. That's what grow groups, by the way, are all about. And there's one particular grow group that'll be launching next Sunday. You have an opportunity to get into a group with, by the way, if you want to lead a group, you can stay right here after service. There's, uh, you can meet with Michelle, our grow group team lead, and she'll get you all the information you need to lead a group in the season. But next Sunday, you can sign up for a group called Financial Peace. You can learn how to manage your money. You can learn all you need to know about debt, everything they should have taught you in high school or everything your mom and dad probably should have transferred to you as well. You can learn how to manage your funds. My wife and I are leading that group. We'd love for you to be part of it. Don't let pride keep you out of that group. You need to be in a place where you say, I've made a mess and I need some help. You're just gonna have to own it. Nobody's gonna judge you in there. I already told you the mess I've made in my life. Come on, somebody. If you didn't done worse than me, come on, you can join the group. I need you in there. Get a plan. Create guidelines for your life. Tithe, save, create margin in your life. You may have to buy used furniture. You may have to wear used clothing. <gasps> you may have to shop at the thrift store. Nothing wrong with that. Shop. You may have to shop at the Aldi. You may have to clip coupons. Humble yourself. 
Do whatever it takes. We already go to the church at the Aldi, so you can shop at the Aldi. It's fine. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> the Isle of Shame is like right here, I think, somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, point is, get a plan. Get a plan. And live your life this way because there's happiness on the other side. Do what others won't do so that later you can do what others can't do. Uh-oh. Develop a plan. Third thing is do it now. Do it now. Don't wait. Corinthians uh, 6 says that, that I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is a now moment and you need to seize it. Next Sunday, if you need help, that's your now moment. Get into the group because that group will fill. Get in a group. Get into that financial piece. If it's not available this season, make sure you're in it the next season. Get in a group. You're in a now moment, so do it now. So acknowledge your part in it. Get a plan. Make sure you do it now. Don't wait. And then the fourth thing is humbly ask your father for help. You know, humility puts you back in the favor of God. That's what it does. It puts you back in his favor. You know, when Shanda and I got married, she had debts, and I was still working out at the bankruptcy issues that I had and trying to rebuild my credit, and we worked on them together. We made a plan, and we, we executed that plan to pay down our debt. And we actually, because I put it all on a spreadsheet, I was able to put a timeline based on how we were able, we were attacking our debt. I was able to put a timeline and a date that we would be out of debt. Woo, buddy. That was an exciting thing. For any of you that have done this before, you know this to be true, that you look forward to that date. You stick to the plan. You work on it little bit by little bit, week after week, month after month, watching that debt just go down. But here's what happened. We committed to this plan. We asked God for help. And then we had several large, unexpected financial blessings come along our way. And my wife and I didn't look at each other and go, you know what we could do with that money? You know that thing we've always wanted to have? You know that place we've always wanted to go? You know that restaurant? Mm, I'll bet that steak is so good there. No. I think it was a test from the Lord. We actually applied it to our finances and we got out of debt earlier than we expected. We got out. Because I believe that when you make a plan and you discipline yourself, you humble yourself, I believe God will add his favor to your plan and he'll bless you. I've never, never seen anybody who has humbled themselves not walk in the favor of God. I've never seen anybody develop a plan to get out of debt that it took them just as long as they thought when they were submitted to biblical means of managing their funds. Now on paper, it may look like it's gonna take you 10 years to get out of debt, but in God's economy, if you'll humble yourself and remain there, it'll attract God's favor. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, he said, God opposes the proud. You don't want that. It means God is adding his energy against you if you want to walk in pride. He opposes the proud, but gives grace. Grace literally means that you get something you do not deserve. It's not something you earned. You get what you didn't deserve. He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves. You have a choice, by the way. You can either humble yourself or life will humiliate you. Isn't that true? So choose it. Choose humility. Humble yourself under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. It's simple, guys. We just need to humble ourselves. If we don't, life will humble us. Humility is coming one way or the other, so we got to decide. We got to decide. Humble yourself every day. Trust God so that we can do this last part of this verse so that we can give all of our worries and cares to God because he cares for us. Listen, generosity is important, friends. It's important. Being free from debt, it matters. So make sure that if you are in that hole, you acknowledge your part. Get a plan. Do it now. Let's, no, no time to wait. We're not going to wait until next month. We're going we're to start now. And humbly ask God for help. Because generosity, living life this way, this is what we do. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that uh, you would help us to humble ourselves before you, to truly own our part in every bad place we find ourselves today, to acknowledge, yeah, we did it. I could have done this and I didn't. I knew better and I didn't do it. I didn't respond. God, help us to acknowledge our part. Help us to have the wisdom to develop a plan, the courage to execute and act on that plan. And God, ultimately the humility to seek your help. We need you. And we pray, God, that as we act on that plan, as we're faithful to it week in and week out, I pray that you bless us. I pray that we'd find your favor, we find your blessing, we find your help, that we would be able to rebuild and live our lives with intentional generosity. 
free from a spirit of mammon, free from, from a, a, a consumeristic scarcity mindset, free to trust you with all that we have so that we can tithe, so that we can give above and beyond, so that we can be difference makers and we can be part of the we. God, help us. Help us, Lord, to, to really truly believe that the greatest investment opportunity we have in this life is the investments in things that make a difference in eternity. Help us, Lord, get this right. Help us. Now, for the rest of us in this room, there's a decision you need to make right now. And it's about your relationship with God. This is your moment. This is your now moment where you can decide, I'm ready to begin a relationship. I need him. I'm in a dark place. I've made a mess of things. I did it. It was me. I've been prideful. I've been arrogant. I've been trying to do it on my own. And I need God. Nobody's going to look down on you for that. The reason we're here is because we've made that confession. That's the basis of all of our relationships with God. God, I need you. And if you're ready to begin that relationship, say, God, I need you. I'm ready. You don't have to be perfect. He's not looking for that. He's looking for someone who'll be honest. So if you're ready to begin a relationship with God, I'm going to give you the words to pray. But would you just slip your hand up right now and say, God, I need you. Just slip your hand up. Let me know. That's me. Aaron, I'm here today. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Proud of you. Today is your day. So everybody, we're going to pray out loud. That means all of you Christians, we're praying out loud. Nobody prays alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, heaven's having a party. Simple Church, celebrate with people who said yes to Jesus today. Now, if you said yes, grab that connection card. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.